listening to The Fret Files, the Guitar Workshop Podcast with Eric Daw. Eric Daw. That dude, that guy, he said, he... Yep, you hate him. Yes, indeed. Welcome to the show. Fret Files Podcast. New year, new show, 2022. Uh, the Fret Files Podcast is your fortnightly foray into guitar geekery. I'm Eric Daw, your guitar scientist with over 25 years of experience building, restoring, and repairing guitars. Today's co-host is, drumroll please, Nat. Greetings. I will read. The listener submitted questions, and Eric will try to answer them the best he can, drawing on his experience as a professional luthier. What have you been working on lately, Eric? Uh, what's on my bench lately is uh, crack repairs. That's kind of been the name of the game. Rough ones with cleats and clamps. Yeah. And... Well, what ha- you know, in the winter um, in this area... Oh, I know. Everything gets all dried out, and so... If you don't humidify your guitars, then they crack, and then you have to bring them to me. So that's what I've been doing, is repairing cracks. Yeah. A lot of them. Man. Top and cracks, side winter's cracks. winter's not even over. Yeah. yeah. So I, humidify your guitars, people. Yeah, I've got a mandolin that I've been withholding because I was afraid of what you might say. Oh, that you need repaired? You need yeah. cracks yeah. repaired? Uh-huh. Yeah, I don't want to do it. I know. I mean, I will. <clears throat> I'll do it for you. I just don't... Uh, never mind. I don't want to get into it. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, so crack repairs and a lot of... I've been doing a lot of electronics work lately. You know how things come in batches? Oh, yeah. Crack repairs, electronics work. Uh, I've got a bunch of stuff in the paint booth right now that I'm painting. Oh, yeah? Yep, there should be some custom guitars ready to uh, roll out here in a few weeks. I maybe. always like to know what colors you put on these custom guitars i'm doing a right now i'm refinishing a few for some guys one's one's gonna be black one's gonna be lake placid blue Mm -hmm. and then my custom guitars i'm making there's a blonde actually they're both blonde a t style and an s style uh Mm -hmm. hardtail s you can't say this the the s word i'm doing two blonde custom guitars and refinishes on a couple others that are one's black one's lake placid blue i don't think i've seen have you done the hardtail no almost never no is that right yeah almost never is it did someone order that or you just want to give it a shot i don't take custom orders um i wanted to give it a shot and it just seemed fun you know yeah and it's kind of special actually it's the 200th guitar oh i wanted to do something just a little different Hardtail blonde. Yeah. Three pickup guitar. Yeah. Well, that's neat. Yeah, it should be cool, man. That is fun. I remember there was one in Emerald City years ago that I saw, and they were very enthusiastic about it. Emerald City Guitars in Seattle? Yeah, maybe you heard of it. A vintage one? Seemed like it was 70s. Did they make a batch of them in 
70s? Uh, yeah, I think they were available, all, you know, mm -hmm. through the years. Well, 70s wasn't long ago. Well, not to you and me, but... I know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, speaking of the 70s, well, I guess this is late 60s, but you want to do a little guitar history? Yes, I really do. Oh, good. Well, let's do it here. Yep. Yeah. The Guitar History Corner. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. The late 60s, the original solid body, the Telecaster, Fender decided they just weren't psychedelic enough. Yeah, they need to get with the times, huh? With the paisley and the blue flower finish. Yeah. Yeah, yeah and I, I thought it was blue paisley, too. I forget that it was actually blue flower yeah not the paisley guitars yeah so i guess what happened well here's a little info according to premierguitar.com oh yeah the crazy hippie youth movement of the 60s uh began influencing mainstream society after the summer of love and by 68 ma many major companies realized that there was big money to yeah, be made we can monetize this by appealing to this large group and fender was no exception at the time, owned by CBS. Right. Yeah. Columbia Broadcasting Service. So the original solid body, the Telecaster, was picked to receive the flower power treatment with two new finishes, paisley red and blue flower. And it's interesting because we think of it as pink paisley. But, I do. Yeah. But because that's what everybody calls it. But they, but it was paisley red. It was properly called yeah. paisley red. And it's awfully magenta. Yeah. For a red. The finishes were done by applying a, uh, a self-adhesive foil. Contact paper. Yeah, basically. Like, it, it was called cling foil. Oh, my doggone. Yeah. It's called cl cling foil made by the Borden Chemical Company. So it just clung with static electricity, not adhesive, maybe? No, I think it was, um, I think it actually had a peel and stick... Uh, a peel and stick backing, pressure sensitive, so, so you like you and it would, yeah. You could line your the bottoms of your kitchen drawers in it, yeah. Right? Shelf liner, yeah, yeah, basically. And cling foil was advertised as being able to be used on furniture, appliances, and more. And Fender thought, hey, let's use that on some guitars. So they stuck it on the solid body. I think it would have been way easier because of the plank style of the mm -hmm. Telecaster body, uh, to do this finish because there's no contours. Like the Strat has right. the arm and rib contours. Yeah, the belly cut and all that. Yeah. yeah. I yeah. refuse to say belly, so I never call it oh, belly Oh, yeah. I, I noticed you danced around that. I apologize for offering I call alternative nomenclature for that. Rib contour. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. That's me. I don't know. You know, an interesting thing about this... So the, the, that telly was more unlikely because it was traditionally more of a uh, country guitar, right? And less flower-powery, yeah. um, especially by that time. Well, and it was an interesting choice because the telly had kind of fallen out of favor by the late 60s. Mm -hmm. It was probably hokey. and uh, It was kind of considered out of date and yeah. out of fashion. Yeah. It was fuddy-duddy. But like you were saying, it's because it's a flat top and could be easily done. Now, and it's interesting in re reading this little um, classic guitars of the 60s book, it mentions um, that most tellies were blonde. And I didn't, mm. hadn't really thought about that before. Is that the case that the, is of yeah. this era? Yeah. Um, and, uh, you know, f so the early 
finishes. We call them butterscotch because mm-hmm. they were more yellowed and yellow more over time too. And then they really went to the opaque blonde in the mid fifties. Okay. And then all through the sixties, yeah, if you bought a telly, it was uh, pretty likely to be blonde. Yeah. The exceptions are, you know, they would do telly customs and then you could get, you'd see those in custom colors or a lot of times sunburst. Mm -hmm. But that's not to say they didn't make custom color plain telecasters, but they were not as common. So, yeah, blonde and out of date is what the telecasters were by the late 60s. And so I guess this was their attempt to like, hey, let's make this model hip again. Yeah, they rejuvenated it. They did. Um and some uh, players embraced him. I mean, James Burton's famous for playing one. Yeah. Uh-huh. Brad Paisley, of course, even though that's more modern. Yeah, and right? I think he's got a modern blue one, an actual Paisley, hmm. instead of the blue flower. Yeah. But, uh, but I don't know. <clears throat> they were very cool, I think, but uh, they they didn't really catch on. Yeah, I wonder if we had any kind of idea about sales numbers. Well, back to Premier Guitar, it says, as groovy as these guitars were, they never caught on with the psychedelic rockers that they were intended for. Ironically, the most visible guitarists to use a Paisley, the most visible guitarist to use a Paisley telly was rockabilly country session great James Burton. Mm -hmm. There you go. (laughs) Yeah, he played it with Elvis, I think, and not Merle Haggard, I think. Not sure. Yeah, he played it with Elvis, and um, they. Uh, this article said somewhere how many they think were made, but it was surprisingly few. Kind of laborious, maybe. Surprisingly few. Uh, where was that? Mm. Make it up. I'll have to find it. I'll have to find it. But it was like, you know, a low number, like twenty. Like I think it was 75. It oh, said. is that right? It's, that doesn't seem right. And so the reissues must have been far more than that. Oh, yeah. Hmm. Oh, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And I think there was a bass reissue. Yep, they or, did a they did a, a Telecaster bass in Red Paisley. Yeah. 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 So I, the main reason, I believe... Aside from the fact that they didn't really catch on, uh, but the the other reason that they discontinued these was that the, um, according to this article, uh, the uh, material, that cling foil, mm-hmm. didn't have a stable hold on the paint. And so if you well, see, yeah. like if you see an original red paisley telly or pink paisley telly, mm-hmm. Uh, they often have big cracks in the lacquer and, well, poly. Because stuff is, it was poly then, huh? Yeah, it's just not stable. So due to these issues, the production of these pieces only lasted about a year. They've been, Whoa. Yep, these instruments have become increasingly difficult to find today in pristine condition as there were only an estimated 75 of each color. Whoa. Telecaster made. That's super low. An estimated 75 of each color Telecaster made. So 75 blue and 75 red. Know about it, I guess. I know. I've seen, gosh, I've seen five of them. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's surprising that there's only, there was that few made. And they're so famous. I mean, everybody knows about. Yeah, maybe it's James Burton or when you see what's so distinctive, maybe. And it says there were 
an estimated 25 of each Telecaster base made. Nobody again. That is not very many. Uh-uh. Yeah. Anyway, that's some guitar history on the 68, 69 Paisley Fenders. And how hard it is to finish them. And find them. Yeah. Yeah. Pretty neat. Interesting. Yeah. How do you like that? Yeah. It was fun. Yeah. It's a little guitar history. Should mm-hmm. we do some... Uh, there's no calls. Oh. Should we read some emails? I guess we could. Yeah. Let me try go. one. Letters. We get letters. We get stacks and stacks of letters. Hello, Mr. Daw. Hi. On, yeah. On your most recent podcast, you shared the great story of the Rosewood Telly. According to Keith Williams at 5 Watt World... The original George Harrison Rosewood Telecaster was purchased back by Olivia Harrison, and their son Donnie has it now. Is that yeah. how you say that? Danny. Does he say Danny? Yeah. Why's it got that H? Because George. It's Sanskrit, I bet. Yeah. Yeah. So Olivia bought it back at auction. What? Yeah. And she had uh, to buy that dang guitar yeah, back. And and she she gave it to George's George and Olivia's yeah. son Danny. So he has it now. That's cool. That's from Chris. Yeah. Do you know Chris? I wonder if uh, he... I don't know. Maybe he's just formal. Okay. Well, thanks, Chris. Hey, Eric and Nat. I'm a big fan of the show and always look forward to listening and learning. I just wanted to add on to the news segment from last show about the George Harrison Rosewood Telecaster. Man, I like it when these people write the content for us after the... Follow-ups. Gosh, it's nice. You said that somewhere the Hendrix prototype Strat is floating around out there somewhere. Uh, As soon as I heard that, I yelled out, I know where it is. It's in the Chattanooga, Tennessee. It's in Chattanooga, Tennessee at a place called Songbirds. Cool. It's a guitar museum slash music venue slash foundation for the arts. My wife and I caught one of our favorite singer-songwriters there one night, and I took a tour of the place. We paid a little extra and got to go in their vault. Whoa. Mm. Where they keep the good stuff. Nice. The tour guide took us around the vault and he gave us a backstory on every guitar in there. The few that stand out to me were a couple of Leo's prototypes. Cool. A Don Rich Silver Sparkle Telly. Oh, very mm-hmm. cool. That was almost bronze from the years of Smoky Bars. Yeah, I bet. And that Rosewood Strat. So the Rosewood Strat made for Hendrix. Is in Tennessee. Is in Chattanooga. Huh. I'll be doggone. I attached a picture for you guys to see it. Oh, thank you. Songbirds is definitely worth checking out if you're ever out that way. Thanks for all the great info on the podcast, and I'm looking forward to your book. Oh, good. Me too. Brad from Kentucky. That was a good one. Yeah, right on, Brad. Thank you. That's so cool. I There's almost no information about it online. It's cool that they have it. That's Perhaps neat. they're kind of keeping it under wraps, or they, it's a little bit of a insider secret. I don't know. You'd think hmm. that that would be more widely known. That guitar was made for Hendrix, and it's, uh, you know, one of two made. I think. And did you say he didn't play it? I don't remember. Yeah, they never, they never yeah. did get it to him. Oh, they never did get it to him. Huh? But it's out there to songbirds. <clears throat> Very neat. Thanks, Brad. Yep. Hi, Eric. Have you ever reshaped an already finished neck? A customer is asking me about it, but I have never done it. Is it worth it? Is it relatively easy? What unforeseen problems might I encounter? Thanks, RH. Hmm. 
thanks, RH. I um, didn't we already answer this? I don't think Does so. My memory. Um, I don't listen to shows though. Oh, you know why I'm thinking that? Because this is a question that a friend of mine. I know who RH is. Okay, this is a question a friend of mine asked me. Ah. Uh, and I just added it to the podcast because sometimes I do that when yeah. it's a when it's a question. It's that, a letter. Yeah, when it's a question that uh, could be used on the podcast, I'll just throw it in the pot. Mm-hmm. Um, reshaping an already finished neck uh, is a pain in the neck. It is extra right? hard. Dang it! In the actual neck. Oh boy. <clears throat> uh, the well, the problem is that then you have to um, either respray the part that you've shaped or respray the whole thing, you know, mm-hmm. strip the, all the paint off. So uh, he says, is it relatively easy? No, I don't think it is. I think it's not fun because then you have to respray. But And blend, I guess, is the hardest part of... Yeah, blending it in and... Um, did he did he say what kind of neck it is? No, I didn't say. Yeah, the problem that I, you run into is that it's always guys always want to do this to like a two hundred dollar neck. Mm-hmm. And really, you want you want to pay me four hundred dollars to modify this two hundred dollar neck? There's something about hot rod and a junky guitar that just appeals to people. It's impractical, um, but or it appeals to them. Or is it worse when somebody wants wants it done to like a an expensive Paul Reed Smith or something. That might even be worse. Well, I don't man, know. This is fraught with philosophical <coughs> conundrums, this this whole thing. Yeah. So if you're comfortable with refinishing or making it look right, then yeah, it can be done. It can absolutely be done. Um, but it's often, you know, if we're just talking about a, a cheap neck here, it's oftentimes going to be Cheaper to just find a neck that that you like rather than reshape the one you've already got. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right. I'll I'll accept that. It's tough, and you know, to some extent, people want to be a little creative and try some things. And yeah. Maybe what's going on there. If you don't care how it looks, and you and you don't care that it's deglossed, you can reshape it, sand it nice and smooth and then just treat it with like a tongue oil finish or something like that some you know something some rub on easy finish but um but yeah, yeah. It, if you if you're yeah. going to try to make it look like it never happened that's going to be there you go there's a good standard that's going to be hard to do good standard unless you're already like a professional shop and you know seasoned pro so, and actually, RH is. I know RH. Yeah. Well, thanks, RH. Yeah. That's a good one. Eric, I have a 2005 Fender MIM made in Mexico, Esquire. That is actually an amazing guitar, due primarily to the refret I had done several years ago. It plays beautifully, and I love the simple look of the Esquire. Me too. The issue is wiring. Do you have any suggestions for how I can get multiple tones out of one pickup with a three-position blade switch? Mm. Love the podcast. Keep them coming. Yeah. David from Dover, Massachusetts. Well, I sure do, David. This is a, this is a pretty common complaint with Esquires, by the way. Well, yeah. Because the way that they wire them, 
uh, at Fender is kind of bizarre. Oh, they had a terrible tone cut thing, didn't they? Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. Uh, anyhow, yes, I've got, so in my book that I'm putting together and should be out, I don't know, in a few months maybe, uh, I have a few different ways to wire them. So I've got the original Esquire schematic, and then there's something called the Eldred mod, and you can look that up. You don't have to wait for my book. Mike Eldred ran the custom shop from the late 90s up until 2014, and he came up with this wiring uh, for his personal Esquire, and it's um, basically it, you've got you know three positions, single pickup with the tone control bypassed, then in the middle is the pickup with the tone control activated, and then all the way forward is uh, like a preset throaty mid-range sound. Well, how do you do with, that? With a hardwired capacitor. With a capacitor, not an extra yeah. inductor or something. Yeah, point zero zero four seven or a huh. 4700 picofarad or picofarad. How do people say it? I say pico. Um, and then I've got another thing in the book is a kill switch Esquire schematic. So it has the three positions it's got are uh, tone control bypassed, tone control activated, and then kill switch. And what what effect does just the tone control have? Is it just a very slight effect? Because it's totally bypassed, so it would be... When it's all the way up? Yeah. Would it be exactly the same? Pretty pretty close to okay. identical, yeah. Okay. And so, and yeah. the tricky thing here is, I'm just reiterating for my own benefit, is this is a one pickup guitar. Right. So getting multiple yeah. tones, and you're not going to get phase interactions. No. Nope. Right? You you're can't. not. And um, multiple tones out yeah. of a single position. Um, yeah, we're getting pickup. We're tricky. getting there. Oh, oh boy, good. So I'm just I'm just telling you all the Esquire schematics that oh, I boy. have in here. <clears throat> the next one is Old Fuzzy's custom schematic. Oh yeah, uh, Ad Baron. Oh yeah, you like him? AKA good guy. Old Fuzzy. By the way, hates Paisley Tellies. Oh, because he fought in Vietnam and oh. hated the hippies. Oh man, because yeah. the hippies now, tore I, down everything worth fighting for. I talked to him about it. I think it. I think it, he talked about it in that podcast that I did. That, that interview I did yeah. with him. Huh. I don't remember. But his schematic for an Esquire is um, pickup with volume and tone controls both bypassed. Okay, and and I might have assumed that all controls were bypassed. Okay, yes. Okay. And the middle position is volume control only with no tone control. And then mm-hmm. the all the the third position all the way forward is both volume and tone controls. That's kind of neat. So you got no volume and tone, volume only, volume and tone. Yeah, and is it a two hundred fifty k pot yeah. on the volume? And as you preset them, th- then that's how you get your different sounds rolling through the switch. You've got the volume dialed back ten percent, and by flipping the switch, it's it gives you a slightly different sound, right? To to a kind of preset level, yeah. Um, cool. And then my favorite, which is one that I designed, so it's called Eric's Custom yeah. Esquire Schematic. Heck of a coincidence. Well, yeah. Um, and the reason I designed this is because that's exactly what I wanted. I wanted an Esquire that mimicked a two-pickup guitar. 
It's going to be hard. So it's got wait. well, it's got three very usable switch settings, and it's what I came up with. So it turns the tone control into a capacitor selector. Okay. Uh, when when the switch is all the way forward, what would be normally the neck position? An array of capacitors. So, this, so it has two separate tone control. Oh my gosh. Tone capacitors, and what it allows you to do is you can gradually roll between the two different tone caps to find a sweet spot. Gradually. Right? Yeah. So, or or you can leave it at a, a preset. Yeah. Know? Yeah. The volume control's a master. Uh, so what you get is the, what would be the bridge position is the tone control is bypassed. Uh, and then middle position is the standard tone control. So uh, typical, like, I guess. Yeah, typical tone control. And then all the way forward the tone knob becomes a capacitor selector. So if you set, with this schematic, and if you set the tone knob about at the halfway mark, you have three pretty distinct and usable sounds. Whoa. So it's like uh, wide open, tone rolled off about halfway, and then the third position, like a mellow, like a neck pickup sound. Uh Uh-huh. Uh, and you can even, you know, you could experiment with different caps here and get like that weird um, throaty sound from the Eldred mod. Okay. And so that's interesting. But what it does is it, it uses, so your tone control becomes a blend between two capacitors. Yeah. All, all the way one way, it grounds out one capacitor, and all the way the other way, it grounds out another capacitor. Yeah, that's neat. Yeah. And, that's quite clever. Yeah. I like it. And is the um, this mellow sound, so kind of like neck pickup-y, presumably that's much more usable than the normal Esquire that's super muddy and not great with the tone control. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So it's kind of usable, slightly yeah. rolled off. Yeah. Nice. And like I say, so if you roll down the tone knob about 40 or 50%, it kind of sounds like a three-pickup guitar because you've got the real rowdy and trebly. Mm-hmm. Bridge position. Got a little bite. The kind of mellow middle position and uh, kind of bassy neck position. Uh-huh. But not too bassy. Not, not too bassy. Too, no, yeah. not too bassy. Yeah, so that's my custom Esquire wiring. All with a three-position blade mm-hmm. switch. There you go. So uh, let's take a little break, and we'll be right back with more. This episode of the Fret Files Podcast is brought to you by Apex Coffee Roasters. Imagine always having fresh roasted coffee in your home. Now, imagine you didn't even have to leave the house for it. A subscription with Apex Coffee Roasters makes all of this possible. You choose the plan that best suits your needs, and they handle the rest. Their roaster will select a coffee option just for you and send it your way. Discounts are applied if you get a six-month or a year-long subscription. And shipping included if you're in the USA. Great coffee every morning. Just cut a little bit easier. That's apexcoffeeroasters.com. And if you go there and use my promo code, you get an additional 10% off. That's pinup, P-I-N-U-P. That's at apexcoffeeroasters.com. We've talked a lot about neck straightening irons on the show, and people write to me and they say, Eric, where can I get one? Well, until now, I didn't have anywhere to send people because nobody makes them anymore, except for my buddy Rick at playersgearmusic.com. You can go to Players Gear Music, you can order a neck 
straightening iron. Some people call it a neck press or a neck heater. It is an invaluable tool in my shop. I use it all the time. I'd be lost without one of these. I, I love having a neck straightening iron, and Rick is making a really, really stout industrial. It, I, I think it... I think it's the best one that I've used, and I've I've used a lot. I've used uh, the commercially available ones that they used to sell in the 70s and 80s, but they don't sell them anymore. Well, now you can get one from PlayersGearMusic.com. They're $7.49. I know that seems like a lot. It's it's a tool. I tell you what, it's going to pay for itself a hundred times over. If you go to PlayersGearMusic.com. Scroll down on the main page. Scroll, scroll, scroll down to where it says Fan of the Fret Files Podcast. You click that. That adds one to your cart. And it's 50 bucks off. So instead of $7.49, it's $6.99. $6.99, free shipping, and it's yours. A neck straightening iron. Playersgearmusic.com has them. And you need one. I'm telling you. So go to playersgearmusic.com and check it out. And don't forget to tell Rick that the Fret Files podcast sent you. Well, we're back. Oh, hey, this is West of the Rockies. Hey, Eric. Not the wild card line? No, no, no. West of the Rockies. Yeah, you have to you have to call it out in advance. This is Ryan from the central coast of CA. That's California. Mm-hmm. Not cyano, cyanoacrylate. Yeah, not Calgary or anything. I have a question regarding fender-style pickup winding. I was wondering if you wrap the pole pieces on fender pickups in masking tape before winding the copper pickup wire. Seems like a good way to prevent shorting, and Leo seemed to think so on the early broadcaster pickups. So I hear. Is this a practice you follow? Do you know when fender stopped doing this? Also, did Fender lacquer or wax pot Telecaster bridge pickups with or without the bridge plate on? Thanks for any insight on this potentially dry or mundane question, and thanks for the podcast. This question's awesome. Yeah, it's not too dry, my goodness. It's got all kinds of goodies in it. Yeah, this is great. Um, I do not wrap pole pieces of Fender-style pickups in masking tape. No. I know some manufacturers do, Hmm. but... I think that part of the the good sound that you get from those pickups is that the coil is really wrapped directly on the magnets, and the only thing keeping that um, keeping them from shorting each other out that, that is the metal magnets and the and the uh, magnet wire is the fact that uh, you lacquer the bobbin, and of course the magnet wire has a thin insulation, a thin yeah. coating of insulation on it. So um, that's double protection. I don't see a reason to add a third level with masking tape. <clears throat> um, and f- for the for the most part, Fender did not do this. Okay. It's really rare. It's just, would yeah, just super rare. So they yeah. really didn't do this. Almost every Fender pickup ever is just the coil wrapped directly on to lacquered magnets. Hmm. So, um, I don't do that. 
Uh, and that probably stopped just right after broadcasters or after the two and a half that snuck through. Yeah, I, they did it. Re- started I think the that they they maybe did it really early on, and then that and then gave it up. I don't know, but mm-hmm. yeah, I almost never. Well, I shouldn't say almost. I never do that. Yeah, I never do that. You don't do it. Well, what about this uh, with the working on the bridge pickups with with or without the bridge plate on? So did they lacquer them or wax pot them? Those. And, and he's implying, what do you do, not just what did Fender do, I assume. Uh, as far as I know, Fender wax-potted the pickups with the bridge plate on. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. Um, but they do, they come, they tend to come loose over time. And so if it's a vintage Telecaster, nine times out of ten, that bridge plate is loose a little bit. Huh. Yeah. I think it adds to the sound. It, yeah, it would... I know there's people the... that scoff at that, but, um, you know, I think it adds enough to the sound that I don't wax pot mine with the bass plate on. Because you're not afraid of a little mechanical resonance or I want movement it. there? Yeah, yep. so I want I my guitars, If you when you plug it into an amp, I want to be able to knock on the body and hear an audible knock coming yeah. out of the amp. Yeah, right. That's what I want. Sounds like, dangerous and live. It is. I, I mean, like if it. you're going to use distortion, it's dangerous, but I don't. Right. Uh, side note, listeners, once Eric was told to turn up his distortion. Who told me that? Do you remember that? <laughs> when, no. we were, when we were doing a sound check, a guy who was fairly tuned up was yelling, turn up the distortion. Was that at a gig? Yeah, it was over at Karen's. Oh, I don't remember that. Well, it was dark. That, that was good been times. a long time ago. It was good times. <laughs> yeah, I don't use distortion. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, there you go. Thanks for the question, my friend. That is good. That's a good one. Appreciate that. Thanks, Ryan. Yeah. Eric, wonder how to raise string height on a Dan A resonator. Don't know what that is. Dan Armstrong? I guess. New model. Has a bridge saddle right in the center of the cone and a lipstick pickup. Mm. Oh, and maybe there's a lipstick pickup by the neck or something. This is a little bit... uh, written in code. I think it was speech to text. Oh, yeah, it'll do that, huh? What a world. Go ahead. Seems maybe, thank you, I needed the reassurance. Seems maybe the only, uh, wow, maybe the the only way to get under the basket or replace the nut and bridge saddle nut. This is a fun game. Okay. Dang. Just like charades. Thanks, John. That's John Gray in Palm Springs, California. He's wondering how to raise the string height on a on a, on a Dan Armstrong bridge. resonator. So on a resonator that sits at a metal cone. Okay. I don't know if that has. I should look it up because I don't know if the neck is bolt on on those or if it's like a traditional resonator where the the neck is just one continuous stick that goes through the whole body. Some yeah. of them are like that. Um, some of them are just built like a, like a standard dovetail acoustic, and then they just plunk a little cone and a, and a little s- surrounding banjo yeah. thingy in there. But it might, and it might be a bolt-on neck, like a, I don't know, yeah. like a Supro. Supro made these f- cool little funky oh, resonator guitars. Yeah, yeah, with bolt-on necks, they're super cool. <clears throat> well, we'll get to the bottom of this. Okay, I'm googling. Dan Armstrong, a resonator guitar. Here we go. Okay, and we're looking for the lipstick pickup. Hey, what's that? Oh, maybe. I don't know, man. 
Okay, we've clicked. I mean, I think it's gonna. You, you, I think you're gonna have to traditionalism um, modify regular. the. Yeah, I think you're gonna have to raise the saddle or make a new saddle if he wants to. If you want to raise the action, huh. is that what he's saying? I think uh, so. Yes. How do you raise the raise string, the string height? height? Yeah. Yeah. There's only a couple ways, and um, it looks like what you've got is probably not something where you can change the neck angle. Right. Uh, so, um, <clears throat> you'll probably have to, you'll probably have to, uh, make a new saddle for it. This taller. And he does kind of suspect that. I think he, he knows in his heart because yeah. he suggests, I mean, yeah. maybe the only way to get under that basket or replace, or I'd have to replace the nut and the bridge saddle. I did find a real picture to one. Look at that. Yeah. It's got a lipstick tube. Right up, up there in the... Up by the neck. In the neck, yeah. yeah. See, I divined that from his slightly cryptic note. Yeah, right on. Thanks, John. Appreciate it. Hi, Eric and Nat. My dad has an Ibanez. Dreadnought from the 80s. Hmm. It's all solid wood with a beautiful rosewood, perhaps, fingerboard, and it's my favorite acoustic to play. Cool. This issue I'm noticing is as follows. At the second and third fret, almost in the perfect imprint of an open D chord, on the E, B, and G strings, skinny ones, mm -hmm. lie divots, small dug-in craters. Oh, yeah. There's also one divot noticeable at fret one of the B string where the pointer finger would sit playing a standard C chord. In the wood or in the metal part of the frets? In the fingerboard, man. Yeah, okay. It's, he's cowboys. The cause is obvious. Years of playing, years of playing standard open chords. Would Ebony do this? I'm not too good with knowing wood types. Maybe this is a rosewood fingerboard. Those these divots have the potential to cause tuning issues. I'm thinking. Does that sound right? What might be the solution? Whole new fingerboard replacement? Some sort of wood filler that would bring the holes back flush with the rest of the fingerboard? Ugh. Or maybe it's best to let it be. Ding, 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 ding. <laughs> I mean, Again, you knew I was going to say that anyway. I, right? I know, but people people lose their nerve. But they're like, well, now that I'm actually writing this. Okay, again, it's a beautiful guitar in look and sound. One of the most comfortable I've ever played. I want to do right by this old glory. Thanks again. Warm regards. Noah, Minneapolis, Minnesota. Thanks, Noah. So whether that's ebony or rosewood, it doesn't really matter. Do you fill the divots? Uh, it always looks terrible when you do. If they're not too terribly deep, what you can do is plane the fingerboard a little bit when it's time to refret. So that, so right. if, if it already needs frets anyway, and you're going to be taking the frets out, and the divots aren't too deep, you can do some, uh, some re, you know, with a radius block you sand down the fingerboard a little bit probably not a lot <clears throat> but um you know i don't th the, the only reason the only reason that would cause tuning problems is if you just have an iron grip and you're cranking and if you're doing that then you've got other problems anyway yeah. because a light touch man is what it takes i think in my opinion right yeah, it's true i mean a lot of i i see a lot of players just with tall frets who have a hard time playing in tune because they push yep. too hard. So, yep. I do it. Yeah. Um, so I would leave it. 
unless it's um, needing a refret, then you could you could maybe feather it out with a radius sanding block. But you know, I used to I used to try to fill those, and there's guys who will do it. What what you can do is you can mix, you know, when you sand it down, you can mix the uh, wood dust that you get out of the sandpaper with super glue and kind of fill those divots and then sand it all down. But it always ends up looking terrible. Yeah, I can't imagine. I mean, it might look really good when the day you finish it. Oh, really? But then as you oil the fingerboard and play it, then it's just going to look awful uh, later. Yeah. So there's actually enough sand, sawdust in there that it kind of looks okay for a second, huh? Yeah, because you can sand it down level with the fingerboard and like with in the case of ebony um it, you can make it look like like oh it disappeared huh but then as you oil it over the years cuz the the wood will absorb the oil and start to make those super glue you know yeah plugs yeah uh detach from the fingerboard plus you're you know you're playing it so your finger is hitting it all the time and putting pressure on it. It's really best to just leave them alone. That's huh. my opinion. Thanks, Noah. Appreciate that, Noah. You know who's got some kind of neat, almost Ibanez dreadnoughts from the 70s? Yeah, you. This guy. I know. And they are awesome. I hope you don't need me to work on them. I think you worked on a couple of them. Yeah, probably did. I got the one that doesn't have a truss rod. Oh. Remember that? Mazel tov. I know. It still works, but I just try not to think about it. Okay, Eric, Happy New Year. And I hope all is well with you. It is. Yeah. Hey, I was watching a really fun Stumac video with Dan Erlewine and Bill Kirchen. How do we say that? Kirchen? We do say Kirchen. Bill Kirchen, he's the guy from uh, uh, Commander Cody? Or he's just the guy that does the... I regret. Yeah, great telly player. Okay, I regret even asking. I should have stayed in the flow. Bill was showing the cool tricks he does with his guitar, and towards the end, he mentions that his T-style guitar came from Carmine Street Guitars and was made by Rick Kelly with very old reclaimed wood. Oh, yeah, I've seen those before. Those are cool Ah, guitars. And you can tell it's reclaimed wood, huh? Mm -hmm. That's neat. He mentioned he did not have a truss rod. Oh, boy and thought that was a great feature of the guitar. I've watched the documentary, and, and I enjoyed it. What are your thoughts on these guitars and the no-truss-rod feature of Bill Kirchen's guitar? These guitars appear to be very interesting. Yeah, they're cool. That is cool. Also, if you and Nat have a band, please tell me Hot Rod Lincoln is part of your set. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, that, and that Nat does the vocal. And that Nat, oh, my goodness. Oh, geez. It's like listening to my own voice, reading my own name. He says, Nat has the perfect voice inflections for this song. Thanks, guys, and Happy New Year, Zach from Seattle. Yep, rolling up Grapevine Hill. There you go. Well, I don't think we do that. I'll I'll cover that one. No, we don't do it, but we could. I'll tell you, as a rule, any song that's ever, ever been requested, we don't do. No. If you know it, we already we already don't play it. <laughs> this is this is true. You know, the other day a guy comes I play up to super Eric. obscure yeah. stuff, man, and he's like, "Man, that was great. Were those all originals? I haven't heard any of those." And to be fair, some of them were, but yeah, yeah, you know, probably eighty, ninety percent of mm-hmm. them are just 
Slim Harpo and Guitar Slim and other guys with the word Slim in their in their yep. name. Yep, yep. Uh, but let's just hear you say, my pappy said son, he's gone. Oh, my pappy said son. <laughs> you're gonna it. you're gonna drive me to drinking if you don't stop driving that. Oh car. man, I like the guardrail. Guardrail <laughs> guy beside me was white as a ghost. <laughs> Brakes good, tires are fair. Oh, I like yep. that. That is fun. Did he have a question or just yeah, wanted to he poke said, your ribs? What about, about well, what about the no trust rod? Like I talked about with my early Ibanez, almost. I mean. These Rick Kelly guitars are awesome. I've seen them and I've played them. Bill Kirchin is awesome. Legendary yep. telly player. Yep, yep. Uh, but for me and my money, as for my house, we <laughs> we, we, go. we prefer the truss rod. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. You know, I'll tell you who else started out with no truss rod is Leo Fender. Oh, and not guess for long. What? Huh? Not for long because next warp. Mm-hmm. And that little rod is comes in pretty darn handy when they start bowing forward from the, from the pull of the strings. Yeah. So, sure, if it's um, a one-off or a custom and he really didn't want a truss rod, fine. Uh, the only time it really works really well is when it's just a stout, fat, like one-inch neck, mm-hmm. like a really fat neck. So maybe an acoustic has a little bit better chance. They tend to be bigger, I, don't they? I mean, I don't recommend any time. He's again. It, it's 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 a it's a pretty cool invention. The old adjustable truss rod, and it really is. Yeah, and I I've been asked by a few players, "Hey, will you make me one without a truss rod?" And the answer was, "No, no, I will not." Yeah, no. and you don't really know what you're asking. He's doing you a favor by denying your foolish dreams. Well, it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's just, like I said, necks tend to bow forward as the strings pull on them over the years. And uh, that truss rod comes in pretty handy. I mean, the Fender truss rod traditionally is single action. So it only it only counteracts, counteracts forward yeah. bow. Yeah. Um, the modern, that modern headstock adjust one is dual action. But, you know. Oh. Historically, fenders, most fenders are just that single action heel adjust truss rod and uh, comes in pretty handy. And how often do you think you do a guitar setup and you don't just barely touch at least? Every time I set up a guitar, I I check the truss rod. Even if it doesn't need tweaking, I will give it a turn and then see what it did and then turn it back. See if it works. Just to make sure it's not stuck and make sure it's functional. That's a good thing to check. So, yeah. Big fan. Big fan of the truss rod, man. Well, yeah, that's good. That's but, Do we see that's from Zach? Yeah. Good. Yeah. But I, I don't mean to disparage uh, Bill or Rick here, because they're both legendary. Super, yeah, they're superstars. That does it for this episode of the Fret Files podcast. If you want to participate in the show, and you really should... You can go to my website, ericdaw.com. That's E-R-I-C-D-A-W.com. Click on the contact link, and uh, you can submit your question or comment there. We'll use it as part of the show. The other way to do it is to call or text 757-774-8482. 
whether you're west of the Rockies or east of the Rockies, mm-hmm. 757-774-8482. And uh, we'll use that as part of the show. Thank you so much. We'll talk to you next time.